0: Yes, yes. Welcome in to the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeloneExpert.com studios. I'm your host, Timothy Michael McKernan, alongside the great gangster Pete, uh, who may participate. He's always, Pete, you're always welcome to participate. Sounds good. Gangster Pete, maybe not all that enthused about participating. I don't know, but it's questions from the audience and it's where you send questions and they can be about anything I love the questions we get, and I try to encourage the listeners to ask even more asinine questions or questions that you think, God, there's no way he'll ever answer this, but I'll take a chance. Do that. Email me, T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. And now we are at the point in the podcast season where we have this. We have Joe Buck as our guest this week. Major recommendation on that. Uh, Bill McClellan of the Post-Dispatch the week before. Pat Maroon of the blues the week before that. So if you haven't been listening, catch up, subscribe to the podcast, like the podcast, that's important. Wherever you may podcast, subscribe and like it. We need that. We need it. I don't necessarily understand why I just know that we do. So therefore, please do it. It helps the cause. So wherever you listen, subscribe, that's the name of the game. But now I'm helping you because it's time for the pick six podcast to start up Jack with football. And you might be new to the podcast, and so you might be unaware of what happened in the 2018-19 football season. And that was the emergence of the weatherman. Who is the weatherman? Honestly, I don't really know. I know he, I know he's a weather guy in local television. I know he doesn't live in the area. And I know he was listening to the podcast, and he started giving me picks last year. And I was kind of around 50-50 for the first couple of weeks. Then the weatherman started sending me picks, and we wound up finishing 65% against the spread. And had I not messed around with my picks we would have been even higher so the weatherman is back for another year now you have producer Joe former producer of the Ryan Kelly morning after it's been six and a half years but he's still known as such and then G-Unit and they kind of battled and didn't G-Unit wind up finishing in second place he caught producer Joe at the yeah, end he'll start yeah. and,
1: but he doesn't caught mess around Joe. he uh, he went for it got him
0: and Joe was like neck and neck with me the weatherman comes along I didn't do anything so who gives a damn if I'm giving you winning picks even whether they're coming from me or not um, you know, listen, so that starts up this week. So you have Joe Buck this week, this questions from the audience, pick six, three podcasts a week on the Tim McCurney show. Who knows? Maybe we'll do more. I don't know, but that's what we got right now. You send in your questions. I answer them. And questions from the audience is of course presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Ryan Kelly, the sponsor of our studios, the home James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency. In addition to design air, heating and cooling online at design air Service. Dot com. The number one train dealer in the Midwest. It's hard to stop a train. And Johnny Landoff Chevrolet Highway 270 in the Washington Elizabeth exit. They're online at Landoff.com. We got my wife's car there. And we recommend you get your car there, your new car, your pre-owned car, your car serviced. Johnny Landoff Chevrolet, a fine family. Been doing it in St. Louis for 80 plus years. All right, questions from the audience. I'm starting on the fan page this week. And let's take a look at what we got. I know we got some good, I just, I feel like every week I say it, it's redundant, but I really do enjoy, uh, what people submit. So it makes it easier to, uh, to go in and enjoy them. All right. What are some of your favorite one-on-one long form interviews can be something you were part of or something you had nothing to do with sports, politics, entertainment, et cetera. Anything that surprised you as someone in that business, what was it about them that makes them stand out? It's a very good question. This is recency bias, um, and uh, I still stand by it. Though I think I'll say this: I think I just forget about it maybe a couple of years from now. But the Sam Harris, Ricky Gervais interview that I listened to about a month ago, a little less than a month ago, stands out to me as being like, like almost like the the gospel for me. Um, for 2019 talking about social media outrage, cancel culture, how it's manipulated people into thinking certain things are way more, uh, prevalent than they are. In other words, it's a vocal minority on Twitter and then it dictates policy and people's careers and livelihoods. Oh my God. I love that. Now, um, I don't think it's necessarily something that, I don't know. Maybe it would resonate with people, um, beyond m- media. Um, but I think when people are talking about interviews that, that I like, that maybe they would enjoy gangster Pete, I'm going to buy some time and I'm going to turn it over to you to see if anything stands out to you. And I'm not necessarily talking about interviews that we've done on this show. Um, although of course that's, that's fine. I'm kind of racking my brain. And when, when something pops up, um, I'll be like, ah, I almost wish people like had, Suggestions are like they said, What about this one? But this one, because I know right. that I have a bunch and I can't think of them like off the top of my head. So I'm buying time by turning it over to you.
1: No problem. I can vouch for the Sam Harris gervais one. No. I thought that was fantastic. Right. And then I'm a huge Joe Rogan guy. Some of my favorite Joe Rogans are the Graham Hancock and the Randall Carlson. Uh, those are fantastic. It's not areas that I necessarily knew a lot about, but I learned a lot listening to those podcasts. No. Like, uh, Uh, Randall Carlson's a geologist and he just talks about what he's learned by studying the earth about what's happened in the past. And so I find that fascinating. Uh, Graham Hancock believes that there's been civilization for a lot longer than we think. And he keeps getting proved right. Like his first book that he wrote like 20 some years ago was panned by everyone. And now a lot of the theories that he had in that book are starting to be proven correct. And he's recently wrote a new one. Uh, So I love those guys. Uh, I like the Jordan Peterson ones on Joe Rogan. I think he's really interesting. I like the ones with Brett Weinstein. He's a a professor that fell victim to the lynch mob type deal. And Joe Rogan, I think Joe does a really good job of shining a light on that, which I think is letting more people understand what's going on. And it's not just uh, confined to one area of the country or the area that it's at. Yeah, that's a
0: good play. I'd like to listen to all of those actually. I think you sent those list. I did I have listened it was a to a daunting some of them. list. No, but it was good. I mean I, I, I listened to um, I was in line this week to get Max as they only have a few more days at Tam Avenue. And um, and for those of you outside of St. Louis, if you do come to St. Louis, it truly is one of the greatest burgers you'll have. And so I wait I wound up waiting in line for an hour. I mean it was I left my house to pick up food for my wife, who was sick. Um, and then I didn't return for, for real an hour and 45 minutes and an hour plus of it was spent at max, but it was so good. It was worth it. Um, and, uh, I just listened to the Bernie Sanders interview on Joe Rogan and some people, Oh, Bernie Sanders listened. I would have listened if he had Donald Trump. I, it doesn't matter. Or, you know, Mitch McConnell it doesn't matter. I, I, I do enjoy the way Rogan interviews. He really is good. I just, I guess my mistake is sometimes I'll be like, I'll see who he has on. I'm like, I don't know who that is. And then I fade it and I probably should listen. Because the great credit you can give to an interviewer or to a show is you wind up caring or being engaged by a topic or a guest you didn't know or thought you cared about going in. Um, It's kind of like the fan page club championship on TMA right now. Like almost every single human being listening to the show has zero interest in the tournament. But they are entertained in the way (laughs) that the tournament is discussed and therefore it's become hashtag quality content. Um, with regard to interviews in my career, my interview with Barry Bonds, I do think was actually now, again, this is 18 years ago and I realized it's Barry Bonds. So it might be thought that I'm thinking of it because it was Barry Bonds, but actually he was really good in it, but it was done on television. I don't know if I imagine that's in the archives of KMOV, but he was really good and it was really insightful. Um, and I think he did it only because I was 23 at the time and he kind of looked at me like you know, like it was almost like a letterman kid won a contest to do an interview thing and he wasn't taking it seriously. So he was good. Uh, whereas if I were 10 or 15 years older, that wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gotten the same responses. So that's one that stands out to me in my career too on the podcast that I wouldn't necessarily, I guess they've become more well known to our audience, even though they're well known in their respective audiences that, that stand out to me Perhaps because I went into them, not knowing the people, not not really knowing, never having met them actually. Um, learn of KC 95, uh, we've done a couple now and now I consider, even though I haven't seen her in months, I consider like a friend, like somebody, if we, if she walked in here right now, we could do like two hours and just fuck off. Um, I like that and young page views who at the time I hadn't met. Now, I guess I would consider him like a friend. Um, but we did three hours. And it was and the only reason it stopped is because we both had to piss. And I guess theoretically we could have stopped it and then said, All right, let's come back. But we're like, okay, my God, we've done three hours. So a young page who's a bar fame, or if you're not familiar with Barstool, you know him as the guy dancing around with the chinchilla during the blue Stanley Cup run. Um, interviews that that I I know that there are some on Stern that I'm just like, Oh, that was so good. Like I'm not a big Beatles guy. Uh but I loved his interview with Paul McCartney, um, which, uh, which stands out to me. Um, I was listening as I was driving around this weekend, picking up food, uh, to his interview with Russell Crowe, which I thought was going to be really good. And I didn't think it was really good. So I, I mentioned that just because it's not like I always think they're good. Um, and, and, and as a follow-up, anything that surprised you as someone in the business, what was it about them that makes them stand out? And, and my answer on what I love, when I love interviews is when people get comfortable. That's what, where you can tell that they're going into things that they may not have anticipated going into, but they're like, fuck it, I'm going to go ahead and do it. That's the best. It, it, it is the person asking the questions... Um, that's that I think is the ultimate compliment while you're in the moment, the ultimate compliment, I think you can get in radio or podcasting radio, certainly because it's live. And so you don't have the alternative is when someone says, I, I had to go uh, to a meeting or whatever I was, but I stayed in the car to listen. That's the ultimate compliment that, that can be that all can, that can happen without an interview. But, um, but you know, what stands out for me is just where you're like hearing somebody and whether it's me speaking with somebody or me listening to Stern, me listening to Rogan, uh, Mark Marin, watching Joe Buck on his interview show, watching Bob Costas back in the day on his interview show, watching uh, Dan Patrick, watched him with George Brett, and I thought that was a really good interview on his show, where the guest is clearly comfortable. If the guest is giving canned answers, whether I'm the one doing the interview, uh, or, or not, I'm, I, I, you just tune out. You don't watch it. And, and when that's going on, you know, using the term magic sounds awfully dainty. So I don't want to use that term. But, uh, when that chemistry, when that comfort, comfortability, uh, is going on, it's the best. I love that. I, there, I don't know if there's anything else I'd really rather listen to than when that's going on. Can't get enough of it. Um, and I and I think what podcasts have done have allowed that to take place. They've allowed people to expound, and I think you can get a tell on people. In those settings, one thing though I will say, which is related to this, in the Bill McClellan podcast, which was two weeks ago, if you're listening to this, in the week of August nineteenth, twenty nineteen, is that Bill McClellan points out something that's, I guess, when you take a step back, pretty obvious, but you might not think about it in the moment, and that is, uh, that. Um, politicians, by their nature, by their trade, whether you agree with their politics or not, are likable people. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in a position where they're getting elected. Now, whether likability should factor into who gets to get into office and implement policy, separate discussion, but it's certainly how you do. And therefore, these people... And as McClellan said, he goes, yeah, like a guy like John Ashcroft guy, personally, politics wise, I just couldn't be more opposite, but I liked him. So I voted for him, Uh, really liked him. And he just named a bunch of people over the years that he liked. And he goes and then you kind of go, yeah, I I guess I got roped in. That's what they do. Not to say it's necessarily intent, but it's just, it's an, it's a natural trait, a charming trait. And so there's a great deal of likability there which is one of the reasons why they probably got in the spot where they did, where they were running for office. And if they're being interviewed by Bill McClellan, uh, probably in a higher office, at least locally. So that's something to think about. Cause I've had, I have had, which I think is a great thing. Conservatives say, man, I really don't like Megan Green or didn't think I liked her. But then I heard her on the podcast and she's been on a couple of times. Um, and I didn't necessarily agree with her, but I, I liked, I liked hearing, where she was coming from. So that's a good thing. And I don't think, and I don't I think Megan would be the first one who would tell you she really has zero interest in trying to charm you. Uh, She really certainly believes what she, what she believes and she has a chance to expound on it here. Ed Martin um, is someone who knew coming in, I don't know how he knew, but he knew that I was absolutely not a fan of, of his style of politics, but I couldn't have liked talking to him more. And we wind up BSing and emailing and, and so on and so forth. So, uh, I've now experienced it, and uh, there's something too, which was, I guess, kind of a basic observation. But you know, I don't hear it talked about all that often. And so, Bill McClone's right on target that you he, he interview politicians, and more often than not, you go, oh, "I really like them," you know. Um, even if they don't align with your policy because that's one of their natural traits to be charming. Ryan Kelly is the home loan expert, and he is the sponsor of our studios here on the Tim McKernan Show. Without him, we don't have a podcast, so make sure you're supporting our sponsor, Ryan Kelly, loanexpert.com. And with interest rates dropping and this being home buying season, this is a prime time to get in and get yourself a great rate and lock in. Or if you want to refinance, now's the time to do so. Ryan Kelly's the person to do it with. He is online at thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly, the studio sponsor of this program. Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. Next question. I like this question. Timmy recaps, you know, Iggy might have blocked him on Facebook and Jennings might have blocked him on Facebook. Gangster Pete says he doesn't care enough to block him on Facebook. But his questions for questions from the audience are rock solid every week. And this time it's a brief one, but I got an answer right away and I'm going to go to Gangster Pete. So be on, be ready. If you could write one new law that everyone
1: had to follow,
0: what law would you create? I've got it. And there's no way your answer will be better than mine. So how about that?
1: Well, I can't think of it right now. I just put you on the spot. I just got got in your
0: head with my match play strategy.
1: You go first this time.
0: The answer is, uh, I'm all for Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever other social media platforms will emerge here over the next couple of years that will become the next big thing, so to speak. But in order to be able to post, um, one must use their full name and it must be uh, validated by the entity. And I think the world changes for the better. That is my law and it is the greatest law that has ever been thought of. Thank you. Don't you think that would improve things exponentially?
1: I guess if you take put a lot of stock into what people say online, sure. Well, I, I think it's I think I think what has transpired,
0: uh, like this morning, and this wasn't even working out. I, I in the commercial break, I didn't have time to make my protein shake uh, at home, so I run next door to Gold's Gym, and I go get my little iconic uh, protein drinks. Pretty good. I think they're only like 130 calories, 20 grams of protein. It's a nice hit. And I just see that, you know, they, 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 like they're conscious, I guess, of having MSNBC on one channel and Fox News on another channel, um, along with the other TVs that are up over the cardio machines. And I see on MSNBC, like the, the little headline is uh, Trump. I don't believe, does not believe we're in a recession, which I don't even know if anybody a week ago was even talking about. Uh, but then there was one bad day on the stock market and people said signs of a recession coming. And then, of course, you have a number of people Bill Maher being one, I watch his show saying he hopes for a recession because then that's the only way that Trump doesn't get reelected. Uh, the, the point being um, the manipulation of what we, some still think is news plays a role in who gets elected and then therefore policy. And I think it's played a role in this cyber civil war that the United States is currently in and might not even be aware of, but I think that's going on, and I think it's because you have anonymous accounts spreading bullshit, and people spreading hate, and this this is not limited to one side of the spectrum, and that shit would not go on if people had to actually put their names on it. That's my reasoning, and I think therefore, it, if you isolate it to just out oh, people being dicks online, that's one thing, but I think it actually has exploded to impact policy and politics and a cyber civil war in the United States. That's my reasoning.
1: Yeah, well, I think I think it's bullshit that news outlets are are acknowledging these fake accounts or people uh, that don't yeah, yeah. sign stuff. I think that that's kind of a bigger issue that I have a problem with. But I do agree that if you had to put your name on everything, uh you're much more likely to think things through before you post it, uh, and
0: that wouldn't post half the shit. Right?
1: Wouldn't post half the. Which shit. I'm all, I'm, like, all, I'm all for that. God, I mean, I look at some of the stuff that's
0: written. And I go, oh my God! I mean, and, but I mean, and I look. I'm like, none of these are real accounts, right? None of these are real accounts. Um, but man, that's that's pretty sweet that you that you go and you wear your fake name and try to cause bullshit. I mean, what a bizarre! But that goes back to something that Mar said. And I sometimes I want was want to play these because I know Doug would hate it, it, just Bill Mar. He would think like, I hate this. But I think some of the things he says, Doug would go, oh, I actually agree with this. And he was talking about social, the most recent new rules from this past Friday was social media and people taking pictures and, and representing that their life is so much better is. Um, and I don't know, I'd I'd be, I'd be curious on the psychology of the social media post when people are like posting things that I oftentimes, like if I'm posting a picture of my son, which I now do, I'm that guy. I used to go, God, why would be like, who the fuck cares? And now I'm that guy. Pete is somebody who doesn't have children. Um, you would probably fall into the category I was two years ago or didn't have a kid and was just like, why? But I just do it. And I don't even, I don't, I don't know why I do it. I don't do it like all the time, but those are my posts. Now, if I post any pictures are either golf related promoting an interview we did here or related to my son and that's it. But I guess what's going on is a lot of it is, um, for younger people like going out and then it becomes kind of like this circumstantial form of bullying, even if it's not intended to be bullying, like we're here and you're not here. And then it causes kids to feel left out, which is something that I fucking
1: dread as a parent. I mean, I enjoy seeing the kid pics from my friends. I mean, I there are people that post them like every week and that gets annoying. But uh yeah, I mean, I like, like to see updates, see how people are doing, you know? Well now as a parent I do, but before I'm just like, what in the hell? But yeah, now I get that's it. That's how I feel about the people that post something every week. Like, oh, here's my kid again. And yeah. Like three days later, just, they I'm look so exactly the same.
0: It. And plus I know that on Facebook, I mean, I know like 300 of the people I'm friends with and the other 4,700 are listeners of the show. I guess I should create a Tim McKernan, whatever, non-friend page. Um, but whatever, I don't, I don't post all that often. Um, relatively speaking, but that that to me would be the law that I would create that I think would help things quite a bit. Uh Brian Henshin says, why'd you go into journalism slash media? Um, you know, I told this story on the most recent episode of uh, questions from the audience and it uh but I guess he's probably focusing more on journalism, but it, I mean it, it it's all intertwined. I got cut from the baseball team at SLU and then realized I wasn't going to be a professional baseball player. And that's why uh, I got into what I thought was going to be being the play-by-play guy for the Cardinals, except there are thousands of other people who wanted to do that. And the journalism school at Missouri has no play-by-play course. And so I was just kind of like boxed in. And then that led to being like a news or a sports anchor, which then led to doing a show on KFNS in 2002, which then led to the creation of the Morning Grind in 2004. Uh, So the reason I say that is if you are focused on journalism, I never had an interest in it. Um, and what I see now with it, I really do big time, big time believe that which is portrayed as journalism and social media are the two biggest forms of fuel that have played a role in this civil war in the United States. I do. I, I don't, know, I, I would certainly listen to somebody who would present otherwise but I really do feel that way. And I think people would say, well, it's Donald Trump. Some people would say, well, it's Donald Trump. And I'd say, okay, that, that it might, he might be the most extreme example of it. But 15 years ago, the hatred for President George W. Bush was intense. You know, he was portrayed as a, you know, bumbling fool. And some like, well, he was. And then they'll also go, God, what I wouldn't do to have him back in office in comparison to now. Um, but that's that's what was going on. It was intense. I don't know, and I'm saying this from a place of sincerity, I don't know if the hatred for Bill Clinton was as intense in the nineties. I actually think there's a chance that it was, but because you didn't have the popularity of cable news, although Fox News was coming into its own and maybe came into its own because of the Clinton presidency. I mean, what if Bob Dole, which wasn't likely to happen, but what if Bob Dole would have won in 96? Um I think Clinton's presidency helped get Fox News on the map. Uh a, you know, I think that those factors Uh, not being there in the 1990s make it maybe feel like Bill Clinton wasn't as disliked as he was and maybe George W. Bush wasn't as disliked as he feels like he was but because you had the cable news, the 24-hour news cycle and the beginning of social media, the beginning of it, uh, it it feels like more so and then certainly with President Obama. Like when's the last president that you kind of feel like, "Eh, everybody was kind of on board with him, you know, didn't really hate him. Well, it was the one-termer, George H. W. Bush. That's what, that, that's what that's what it feels like to me. I always kind of put an asterisk next to these, though, because, I mean, I was, you know, when he was inaugurated, I was in grade school. So uh, it might not be fair. Um, but that I don't I don't know if it ever can get back because the journalism is fueled by the dollars and the dollars are fueled by fueled by views and ratings and actual journalism. Doesn't make the dollars, so it's it's, it's stuck. That's why I say, I think every week on this thing, this does not end in November, 2020, you know, for those who think Donald Trump does not get reelected. It's not like it's a happy ending, um, in November, 2020, it's just, it's gonna, it's, if anything, I think it's going to get even more intense. And then, I mean, no matter what you think, you think the, you think the book ends, On election night, November 2020, I would tell you it's only going to get more intense the morning after election night, November 20. Doesn't matter who wins. It's only going to get more intense. And that's propagated by cable news, i.e. journalism, supposedly, and uh, and social media. So it's a good question, Brian And The answer actually is by accident why I went into it. Uh, Is the Sigma Chi, how about this? Is the Sigma Chi front yard, this is a reference to my frat at the University of Missouri, are really so big because they built the new house behind the old one and kept the basement to the old one so they could haze balls. Wow. What a wonderful question. Uh, I can tell you on the latter part, no. Um, and I do think maybe that there used to be an old house that was there. I mean, you're talking, who knows? Like, I don't even know, 70 years ago or something. I don't know. I honestly don't know, but I, I remember hearing something like that. Um, Went in there a couple of years ago. I hadn't been in there in a long time. And I went in there a couple of years ago and it was amazing how much it was the same. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, this really hasn't changed to that much. Mark Hanna of evergreen wealth strategies can't emphasize enough how important it is to have a, a financial advisor, but then it's not just any financial advisor. It's somebody who, who knows, but cares. Again, plenty of people who can know, but cares. And Mark Hanna helps everyday people every day, get their finances organized. You can call him at 314-889-0503. That's 314-889-0503 or go online to evergreenstl.com. His name is Mark Hanna. He is with Evergreen Wealth Strategies. And I can tell you from getting to know Mark here over the last year, This is a first-class person who has your best interests at heart and just calling him at 314-889-0503 is going to make you feel better and you're on the right track. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, 314-889-0503 or go online at evergreenstl.com. This is a good question. What's the most important thing you've learned from being a father? This is one of those things that if I didn't have kids, Gangster Pete, of course, being our representative on that, Um, I'd be, this would be the part of the podcast. If I didn't have kids, I'd go, Oh fuck this stuff. And I'd skip ahead of it for real. And now that I have kids or a kid, um, it's amazing how instantaneously different you view things, um, instantaneously differently you view things. Um, it really is. It just, it's, it's instantaneous. I think it's a good thing for me. I would say, I know it's a good thing. I don't want to say I know it for everybody else because everybody else's situation is different. I mean, if you're becoming a father or mother at an age or a time in your life and that, and that, you know, doesn't mean just because you're like 30, that means therefore you're you ready. Uh, or at 25, you're not whatever, whatever age one would want to assign to it. um, But for me, it was something we wanted. Um, It was something I thought I would be fine if it never happened because we were told we couldn't have kids. Um, But now that it has happened, I mean, just like, I don't know. It it, it makes you more live in the moment, um, selfless, and um, I don't know, the, the love you feel can't be duplicated. And I just never understood that. And I, and I know whatever comes out of my mouth for those of you who don't have kids, first off, you're probably bored out of your mind by this. But secondly, it doesn't matter what I say until you feel it, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't relate, but I'm also always want to be very careful, even though I don't think people do it or say it from a place of um, condescension but I, I I remember right when our son was born, um, like feeling like it was, um, kind of condescending posts like, Oh, enjoy it. It goes so fast. Or, Oh man, you have no idea what you're in for. It's kind of like, you know, we're celebrating the, it's just like, you know, again, it's, again, this is, this is Facebook and 90% of the people who are commenting, I don't know. They're listeners of the show. Um, so I, so I never want to say that stuff unless somebody specifically asks a question. I'm just so conscious of that. Um, and maybe I shouldn't be, maybe people want, I don't know. It's just, it's a weird thing and it, it might be wrong. Um, but that's, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, like this weekend, the great Cletus and I, we played in our tournament and I I, I really wish in something, like who cares? I really wish that it wasn't known that we were playing in a country club, not because there's anything wrong with it, but because there's like, you know, I just know that it, from a perception standpoint, it's just one of those things you just prefer, you know, just cause you, just cause you know the program, especially in 2019 kind of goes back to the question that we got a few weeks ago where somebody said, well, how come back in the day, like if you were walking with your dad, like in the fifties or sixties and somebody came by in a really nice car, the dad would go, see, you ought to aspire to be him. He worked hard. And now it's, Oh, he's got a nice car. Fuck him. You know? So I know that that goes on, even though I know that, you know, while I enjoy where I play golf, it's, it's, we're not like we're talking about, you know, Pine Valley, uh, or even some some of the top top tier courses in St. Louis, but I just know the stigma that comes with it. And like in our event, one of the uh, one of like the I guess attendance prizes, for lack of a better term, was like a head cover with the Country Club name on it. And Cletus goes, oh, "I got your head cover in, in the back of the cart." And I got ah, that's fine. I appreciate. It. I said I don't need it. So if you want it, and he goes, "Those are really nice." I said, "I know, but I don't want to be running around with the Country Club head cover on." I said, "It's just not the way that I personally." I think it's how I was raised. Um, I just, for me, that's not something I care to advertise. It's like the bumper stickers of the private schools in St. Louis. I don't know. I, I, I I don't think necessarily people are doing it to, like, go, look at us. But you know what? I think for those who can't afford to send their kids to those schools and maybe would like to, it, you know... Like what's what's the point? Like so, I told, I told Anna Marie, I said, we're never put one of those signs in our yard that our son's going to take your pick of whatever school. There will never be a if he goes to St. Louis U High or I don't know whatever. I don't give a damn or whatever. If he does go to college, whatever college, that's just our business. It's our business. Now it's not like I'm ashamed of it by any means. It's just, I just don't feel like I just I don't I don't know. And I don't know if this is fucked up that I'm this conscious of it. But I feel strongly. I don't know. I feel. I really do feel strongly about it. It's a. It's a. It's a thing. And I don't know what that's about. Gangster Pete, I feel like you're reacting to this. Why are you reacting to this? What are your thoughts?
1: I'm with you on the school stuff, like putting a sign in your yard saying your kids starting this day. Or, I don't know, like, since neither one of us have kids that are in
0: school yet. I don't know if the school says you need to do this. But then if the school said that, I go, okay, fuck this, I'm out. I mean, you know, I can't, I can't imagine, imagine that, that they, they, they require do. it. And I'm not saying people would do it wrong, right? Because I remember my mom had like a St. Louis U High bumper sticker on her, and and right. like I feel like I see millions of those. And then then are you know
1: there's there are ones for other schools around town. But the the Country Club thing I don't get as much. I mean I'm playing the Highlands in Springfield twice this week. Is that a Country care. Club? Yeah, it's like it's Missouri, nice or Illinois, Springfield, Missouri. No, oh, yeah. But uh, yeah. I mean, where I mean, if you can play golf in a nice course. What's wrong with that? But I but but you're not a member there, right? No,
0: I'm just So I'm, not going to, so I'm, I'm in mouth. a position I just I just know what's going on. I always go back to it, maybe once a month, not every week in this. When the newspaper article came out about my contract, right. my world changed. And so it's just one of those things, even though a lot of people make a hell of a lot more money than I do, it's uh, it just in this world, it changed. It's a bad thing. And so I really wish and I know when I probably Iggy was the one who said it, um, When that was talked about, that I was a member of Country Club, which again, for those who are aware of like the the tiers of country clubs, it's not like I'm a member at Old Warson or St. Louis Country Club. But with that said, I I I just joined because I knew I wanted to play a lot of golf, and I wasn't going to join anywhere that was more than a five minute drive. That's those are my two qualifications, and uh, it's good for my wife and my son. But it's not like doesn't mean I'm like a multi millionaire who's you know I mean some fuck Ann Briar and Gateway are about as Good at golf courses for my money, you know, and they're public courses. So it's just something that I'm conscious of, but that doesn't mean that if somebody does have like an old Warson shirt or something like they're out of line, Because right. For me, it's something I'm personally conscious of. So it goes back to this question of what's the most important thing you learned from being a father. And you just think of things that I've experienced that I want to try to help my son negative things that i've experienced you want them to be humble absolutely so yeah i, I mean it's like because i think with that like i think of the people who i admire and and this can be this can be as simple as they've been successful business or they're just quality people and i think they'd be making like nothing who gives a damn but that's a, that's a common trait you know
1: and i just assume the people that flash it are overcompensating for something else i would agree so with i don't let that. that bother me either like it's like i almost feel bad for them. like i don't know why you feel like you have to do that Yeah, it's just it's it's just
0: you know and i think there's a domino effect on that i think i mean like i said i'm talking about you know it's it's just very important very important to me um and i think you know last week on questions from the audience um, I talked about how my dad had me working as a bus boy at the age of 14, which I, st- which I still, to this day, it's now approaching 30 years of, of that being history. Uh, and I still completely disagree with it. Not because I'm like, oh, I don't want to work, but because it took away my Friday and Saturday nights in high school and you can never get those back. Um, so I disagree with it and it wasn't like it was something that needed to be done, but, um. It, I, I, you know, some might say, well, it taught, taught, work ethic and maybe it did. I don't know. Um, but I do like something that at the time I didn't disagree or I did disagree with. And that was just not handing stuff, you know, uh, over. Like I'll see. And again, it's because it's, now you're getting into like things that can make people hypersensitive, which isn't my intent. And but, you know, like if Jameson turns 16 he's going to want a car and, you know, I know how big of a pain in the ass it was to finally have one again, going to school where I did. And it's not like a lot of kids from my neighborhood were going to St. Louis. U. high, uh, a car was a necessity. Uh, now maybe the, the world will be different by, by then, but, uh, you know, finally got one, but it was like, kind of like, I mean, it was almost like a joke. It was like a 1985 Oldsmobile that looked like something a pimp would drive, you know, and lovely white walls. And I and I, and you know that was I I you know I I don't I don't know what the we've never like dove into would that be the proper uh, tense uh, the reason behind that car, um, but had he got me like a really nice car, you know, then that well and then that first off then that sets the bar for my two brothers and my sister that's an issue so it's got to be financial but then also you got to you got to work to get those kinds of things, and then also I think all, something I've discovered you know, my dad did that. I had to be, it was in his forties. I'm in my forties now. And it's like, yeah, you go, I don't fucking care about cars. I can't wait to not have the car I have. And occasionally some people go, Oh my God, I love your car. And I'm like, God, Oh, you can have it. I signed a lease that I couldn't regret anymore for real. The worst. I've done some dumb things. That is the dumbest. That is the dumbest. Um, I got less than a year left on it. I'm counting it down, even though it's a nice car, but it's just, it was dumb. No, 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 defense for it. Uh, but I just was like, okay, well, we can't have two SUVs in our garage now with getting a baby in and out. So I'll get a smaller car and now it's, that's a whole thing. Um, so dumb. Uh, but yeah, humility is, is something, but you know, as far as what I have learned from being a father, um, it's amazing how, what we used to, the, the importance of time, which I, uh, from the standpoint of, oh, my God, when he's 20, half my age, I will be in my 60s. Um, and so there's that element. Um, he will be two this week. I don't know if I feel like it's gone so fast. Uh, people say that. I don't know if I feel that. Um, and that's mainly because like the first eight months are fucking awful. And that's, that's, that's one of my main tenets of this podcast is to talk about how awful the first eight months are. They're fucking terrible. And I'll, they'll debate anybody on that topic. And this is our first kid. And we didn't even know if we could have kids and it's fucking awful. And I don't know why people don't say that more candidly, but maybe they do. And I'm just not listening. Um, so I was talking with somebody this past weekend at the, at the tournament and they're about to have another kid and it's going to be their second and I said, "How do you feel about that?" And he goes, "Yeah." because you kind of feel like you're out of that stuff? But God, I go, "Aren't the first six, eight months just the worst?" He goes, "God, yeah." I said, "Nobody says it." He goes, "Fuck, I'll say it. It's a fucking worst." And I'm dreading it. Yeah. So I told Anna Maria, "I said, God, if we have another one." I said, "We just got to change the strategy on the because it's so brutal." But um, you know, at the same time, the the months afterwards, now, like, I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to see him. It's, it's automatic happiness and don't get me wrong. He, he's batshit, and it's, it's a, he's a high maintenance young man, but I can't get enough. I can't get enough. And so the other thing that it's taught me regarding time, uh, is, you know, thinking about his life and time, but then also how, as I didn't realize this was a term, but dual income, no kids, dink uh, we were for a number of years and how it's just like, okay, I'm going to sit here and get in a poker tournament at two in the afternoon. And if I run good it, I'll still be playing in it in two in the morning, it's not even remotely possible for me to visualize doing that. Now it's over. It's, Oh, it's not a choice either. Now I wouldn't do it, but even if I wanted to do it, I can't do it. I can't do it. So, I think about that from a time perspective. So, there are these occasional moments, and parents know what I'm talking about. So, I used to get it like when people, go, oh, you have the house to yourself. And people go, oh, I do. And I'd be like, God, I guess these people are so excited to beat off. That's what I thought they were like, oh, man, do I ever? And it's just like, God, this guy's really excited to jack off. And, you know, I mean, hey, tip of the cap, but fuck, settle down. But now I know what it means. Anna Marie's out with Jameson and I know they're not going to be home for an hour. And it's like, Oh my God, it's quiet. And I can get things done. And I love that, that time, which I used to have an abundance of. So if you're hearing this as somebody without a child and you're going, Oh my God, this sounds either great or this sounds terrible. Take heed because this is reality. I want you to know, what it is. It's like when I want to hear somebody who's 60 or 70 or 80, tell me about their experiences when they were in their fifties or sixties or seventies. And I'm like, oh good, this is great knowledge. It's kind of like flipping to the back of the book and getting the answer key. Well, I'm just telling you now this, is I've only got a, a near two year old at this point, but these are my experiences. And this is, you know, somebody on the older side of becoming a first time parent, especially in St. Louis. There aren't a lot of first time parents in their forties in St. Louis. So I don't know. But I, what I, I, there's no way in the world to think that it was kind of like, ah, oh, if she gets pregnant, great. If she doesn't, we will be fine to think that that's how I viewed it now that I'm on the other side of it. I mean, I get why I don't chastise myself for viewing it that way because I didn't know. It's like, you can't hate somebody's balls for, you know, an opinion when they didn't know, like people are on the plowhawk for, I guess he said some shit. I wasn't here when he was saying some shit about parenting, I guess, iPads and iPhones and he won't let it. And, and then people in the fan page are like, well, Plowhawk, you don't have kids. I mean, what the fuck are you popping off about? Yeah, he
1: just said he wouldn't let the technology babysit his kid. Right. And that's, you know, but he isn't there yet. And I get it.
0: I I also, I'm not sure that that's necessarily a bad thing, by the way. I mean, I'm dealing with a two-year-old, but I don't know if this stuff's necessarily, you know. I know it's, it's almost like anti, it's, but I'm not just not sure it's a bad thing. Some of these kids become wizards because of their use of technology at such an early age. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm out with Jameson, Anna Marie's sick this past, uh, which was it Saturday. And so I run up to Deerberg's to get her prescription and I just put him in the car, um, because she can't take care of him and I gotta, because she's sick and I gotta make sure that, um, you know, I get her prescription for her cause it's, she's feeling really bad and he's, you know, the prescription's not ready and at Deerberg's. Into pair, there are like a couple of construction vehicles. You could give me go for each one you name properly, we'll give you a thousand dollars. And there's no way in hell I could name these things. And he's like digger, digger, touch digger, touch digger, and he wants to run on. And just this this infatuation that one, two, and three year olds have with trucks, boys. I'd love to know the reason. I'm sure there's books on it. I just haven't looked it up. But my God, it's apparently universal. Uh, and then there was something else like excavator. It's like, you're busting out excavator. You're busting out four syllables on this truck. I couldn't tell you what this stuff is. Dumper, digger, excavator, concrete, concrete mixer. I'm just like, what in the world? But that's the stuff. And I love it. I couldn't have told you about this stuff a year ago, but I love it. I love this stuff. Can't get enough of it. And it's, it's, I remember the cat saying, there's things that you thought you would hate, you will now love. That's true. Uh, Dave Green who used to be the uh, GM here at KFNS. I remember he said, I asked him about parenting. He said, it's the, it's, it's, it's the best thing and it's the worst thing at the same time. And there, there's truth to that. It's hundred percent truth to that. Uh, Justin Boyd now at hotshots, but worked at inside STL for like seven years. And he was just, I could just tell he just loved his kids so much. And I just remember when like they were in the office, I go, What's that all about? <laughs> Which I'm sure parents now are going, what a fucking asshole. And he goes, I don't know. He goes, it's like you get to kind of relive childhood through the eyes of this person you love so much and you've left a legacy. I'm like, oh yeah. The roots, seed, 2.0. The legacy I leave behind. Yeah. And it's now that I'm there, all of those things I would consider lessons. But it, I just think it makes you a better person. I guess, here's something I think. If I'm, in, if, I'm, if I'm in a moment of clarity, which I'd like to think is the majority of the time, doesn't mean I'm pleasant, but I'm still clear. Um, I think, okay, this person's, you know, not necessarily my favorite. Or this person's an asshole or this person, you know, I don't know, whatever. Either way, for most likely two people in the world, this person is the most important thing in the world. And therefore, it's important that I treat this person how I would want to treat my son. And it just makes you more cognizant of that. And uh, I think that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing. So it's the best. It truly is the best. Uh, so I don't know if, if, if I've, I've been teaching lessons so much as uh, the experience has been teaching me lessons. Uh, next question. You know, James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency is my insurance agent. So this is a firsthand endorsement of James Carlton and his staff in Webster Groves. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. I think a lot of people just go, okay, well, I've got a guy, I've got a lady, I'm good. I don't really care to talk about insurance. It's something, you know, I'm 25, whatever, and that's fine. I understand. I used to think the same way. And then I go down to my basement on March 30th of 2019 and the basement's flooded and the world changes. It just so happens because my interactions with James have been so positive that my wife and I switched to James Carlton uh, in late 2018. And I'm telling you, if we had not, the odyssey that has been a flooded basement throughout all of this precipitation in St. Louis would have been infinitely more difficult to navigate without somebody as active. And on top of it is James Carlton. His phone number is 314-961-4800, or you can go online at carltoninsurance.net. And even now, he still checks in. You know, I mean, it's it's just a different ball game. And even before we had that, which, of course, was a substantial issue, um, you know, we weren't covered on on something, or i forgotten to make a payment. It wasn't like it was like some monster payment. It was a small payment. But he's like, hey, just so you know, uh, you haven't made this payment. We want to make sure that's taken care of, so you're covered. It's just, it's it's just different. It's different in a much better way, and that's why, you know, if if you ran into me at a at a bar, or restaurant, and said, hey, you know, and I have had it happen, hey Tim, who's that insurance agent? People email me, and I go, oh, it's James Carlton. Here, let me include him on the on the email, and I know he's going to be on top of it. I don't think twice about it. It's Not like I'm like, oh yeah, let me tell you about him, and then somebody actually wants to follow up, and I'm like, oh god, I hope he does okay. The best. The absolute best. And you're talking about your biggest investments. So you want to make sure they're taken care of properly. James Carlton and his staff at Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency will certainly do that. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton State Farm. We go from that topic to pivoting right into the Cardinals from uh, Carlos Spicewiner, my caddy for the Fan Page Club Championship. Uh, semifinals coming up. I am, I would, I'm not saying this. I'm not, I'm not Lou Holtzing it. I am an underdog and I deserve it. Uh, It's in part because Guy is really good. And that is also in part because uh, I am not uh, in a good place right now with my game. Uh, Carlos Spice, who in my caddy says, if the Cardinals make the playoffs as a wild card and then lose said wild card game, do you believe the DeWitts will view the end result as a step forward and therefore choose not to shake up the front office slash hold them accountable for standing pat at the deadline Or do you believe they'll see that type of result for what it would be fool's gold? Okay. There's two things just in the question that I disagree with my caddy. Um, First off there we're we're entering into our case exhibits under what I think are false premises or premises that aren't necessarily truths and we're accepting them as truths for the purpose of the question. So I'm always quick to kind of, So the first part is um, that the DeWitts will view the end result as a step forward and therefore choose not to shake up the front office slash hold them accountable for standing pat at the deadline. That would make it sound like Bill DeWitt wanted to do something and the front office did not. And I don't believe the front office does anything good or bad or active or passive without Bill DeWitt's involvement. So what did not take place at the trade deadline was, from my standpoint, in lockstep with Bill DeWitt. Um, so I don't, I don't, if Bill DeWitt said we need to acquire a starting pitcher by the deadline on July 31st, 2019, I assure you the Cardinals acquire a starting pitcher. I just, uh, now I could be wrong, but I will go ahead and say is, is something as absolute as I assure you. Secondarily, uh, the fool's gold that it would be if the Cardinals were to lose in the wild card game. See, I don't, I, I don't, I don't accept that premise but I don't necessarily disagree with it it's a case-by-case basis so for example in 2015 you had I think every team in the central that made it to the playoffs the Cardinals Cubs and Pirates won at least 97 games Cardinals won 100 and I think the other two won at least 97 well I mean were the Pirates fool's gold when they lost in that wild card game to the Cubs um you know what I mean um but the, 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 at the same time, you have had teams kind of back into the playoffs and they go, yeah, they get shipped in the first round or, or in the wild card game. And you kind of go, yeah, well, I mean, that wasn't too surprising to base something on the outcome of one game. um, You know, would be, in my opinion, a poor strategy. So, therefore, that's why I would want to address that. Where is the organization at this moment? And the viewpoint of what's going on inside the boardroom discussing the on the field product and not the business of it, uh, most likely will be different than what the fans think. I mean, it is something else. And again, this, these things, this, this makes the material dated, but as I'm talking, which is, uh, August 19th, uh, of 2019, the Cardinals are tied for first place. And yet I think if you, maybe I'll do this actually the hell, uh, put out a, a poll on social media. Uh, do you approve of the do- job John Mazalak is doing as the president of baseball operations? I, what do you think his approval rating would be? Gangster Pete, I'm anxious to hear this I like we like numbers and wagers and polls and shit.
1: Right now, I bet it'd probably be around forty percent.
0: I would say thirty-three percent. That's no. what I would be. So right, we're in the we're in the ballpark. And the team is in first place. Now, I also don't think that just because a team is in first place that that makes um, or validates decisions. Um, you know, which is the thing that, you know, we talked about it a little bit a couple weeks ago, and Buck Swope pulled the audio of Joe Strauss on TMA, a few years removed from the 2011 World Series, and how if the Cardinals lose on the final day of the regular season in 2011 and the Braves um, win, um, how different the organization would have been. Because Larusa Russa leaving... And you might have had, I think what he was getting at was that John Mazelik might have lost his job. Um, Or the Cardinals would have made sure they signed Albert Pujols because they wouldn't have had the equity in the marketplace to let him walk after yet another year of not winning a playoff game because they did go to the playoffs in 09, but they didn't win a game. And so that would have meant 07, 08, 09, 10, and 11. They would not have won a playoff game. And then they would have let Albert Pujols walk. How different the organization would have been. So if we're taking a step back, and looking at the state of the organization, getting the wild card and losing in the first game, losing in the only game is the wild card, um, with the context of not making the playoffs in 16, 17, and 18, I don't think that makes people feel like the organization's moving in the right direction. And from the front office standpoint right now, the negative response to not doing anything at the deadline is, is there. It is big amongst Cardinal fans, and I think that's justified that part. I also think the fan base, uh, parts of the fan base are just absurdly spoiled uh, to the to the point of being like almost a caricature of a fan base and not even realizing it which is another thing Strauss kind of predicted because so I, I am looking forward to seeing what it's like around here when the Cardinals stop getting in the playoffs because there are some fans here who are who only remember what life's like from the year 2000 and think it's a, a God given birthright that the Cardinals will be in the playoffs every year. And what happens when that stops? Well, it has. And if it doesn't happen again this year, because we're going to be in September and the Cardinals are going to be in the playoff mix, most likely both the wild card and the central. And it could, just like 16, 17, 18, end with disappointment of not getting in. I also will wonder if if they do win the Central, what the attitude will be. Because in 2006, I can I can only speak for myself, and then what I recall about the audience at the time it was kind of like, well, they got into the playoffs, but they're going to get their asses beat by the Padres. And then what'd they do? They won in four games. Won both in San Diego, lost uh, game three in St. Louis. Chris Carpenter started too, if I'm not mistaken. And then won game four in St. Louis to advance to play the Mets who also were heavily favored. And then, of course, the Tigers were infamously favored. What the writers said, the Tigers will win in three. So, um, I don't know if if they get in, if there will be excitement. I think part of what fans are dealing with, and I could be wrong on this, and I, I saw Marty Brenneman, an article uh, he did, uh, an interview he did with Rick Hummel in the Post-Dispatch this weekend, the Reds broadcaster just sounded kind of angry at baseball and one of the reasons he's retiring is because he's just bored by it now and doesn't like the game, I think some Cardinal fans, and I think this might be a healthy percentage, and I could be wrong on this, are attributing their newfound apathy toward the game of baseball and their lack of enthusiasm for watching the game toward the product the Cardinals are putting on the field when in reality, it's the game itself that has gotten into a spot of not being as fun to watch as it was just a few years ago. I think that might be part of this. Cause, and then also in St. Louis, you have in, you have another ingredient that you don't have in most markets, which is we just got to experience the like purest form of cocaine that was the Stanley Cup playoffs for two months. <laughs> And then you flip over, and it's like here's a home run, or here's a strikeout, or here's a walk, or here's a guy ripping a ball to right field. Oh no, it's not. The second baseman's out in right field, and he just felt the field that it and threw it to, to first for the out. And it just it doesn't. It isn't the same thing. And Marty Brennan was talking about how he misses the stolen base. And in St. Louis, you may remember the days of how prominent the stolen base was to the offense. So I think I think that might be a factor. I don't know that. I'm just trying to intru- introduce theories because you do have a first place team tied with the Cubs. So if there is a lack of enthusiasm toward the Cardinals, and if they are still within shouting distance of the Cubs or the Cubs are within shouting distance of them over the final week of the season or final week and a half of the season, I think the Cardinals and Cubs play seven of the final 10 games against Is that correct? Gangster Pete, seven of the final 10 against each other. I mean, holy shit. You can't really ask for much more. If those two teams are, I mean, it's that's, that's, that's not only playoffs, but that's, that's against your rival playoffs to wrap it up. And if that's kind of met with, I mean, I can remember like in 89, the Cardinals and Cubs were going back and forth a year. The Cardinals didn't make it. And the Cubs went to the NLCS and lost to the giants who then lost to the A's in the world series. Um, and like a bad weekend, the Cardinals had and Pedro Guerrero at home runoff, Mitch Williams is like big deal. I can barely remember what the hell happened last year at the end of the season outside of, oh yeah, they got there and then they like lost a bunch of games to the Brewers and Dodgers and people are kind of like, yeah oh, maybe they weren't that good and they just had to play the good teams and then they lost. So, I don't know if that just comes with me not caring as much as I did when I was 12 when that stuff was going on or if it's just not as significant or if it's because the Cardinals had been there every year and so now it's like, well, until they get to the NLCS, now it isn't as big of a deal because they were going to the playoffs every year anyway. I don't know. Um, I like it more. I do like it more. I like it more when a great team carries over and then wins a championship. You know, I mean, it was, it, it, and that's it's a weird thing to say because I won a world championship. That's and it and it is, but I just it kind of makes me feel like the regular season's devalued. And I don't like that, which then I think maybe makes people go, oh, it's boring in the regular season. Well, yeah, it is because you know that you get in and then you can just get hot and win this baby, as it is said. So like the 04 Cardinals, the 85 Cardinals. But hey, you can't do anything if there's injuries. The 04 Cardinals had Carpenter. The 85 Cardinals had Vince Coleman in the TARP. Um, 87 Cardinals, I think, had Jack Clark, not right. and Terry Pendleton, not right, if I'm not mistaken. So you run into these things. Um, but you, you know, you bust your ass all year to win a division like the Cardinals did against the Astros in 05. And then the Astros wind up beating them in the NLCS and then they win the world series. And so I see that happening. So yeah, if they get in then it's kind of like, all right, now you have this rush of this best of five game series. Oh my God, we lost game one. This now the game two is a must win, even though we just played 163 games to get here. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's changed it at the same time. If I'm baseball, I want as many teams involved as, as possible. I don't know, I don't know, but I just, I, I'll say this. It just doesn't feel like the Cardinals are tied for first place in St. Louis. That's what I would say. The Cardinals are tied for first place in St. Louis, meaning I don't feel like people are all caught up in it. Um, and I guess, I think part of that is, and I think it's a fair observation. It's not like 2015 where the Cardinals, Pirates and Cubs were playing great baseball. It's kind of like, Oh, the Brewers lost again. Well, one of the three won, you know. Oh, well, now the next night that team lost and now the Brewers and Cubs won. So I don't think people feel like they're necessarily seeing great baseball. They're like, oh, it's a good thing the Cardinals are in the National League Central because if they're in the other divisions, they'd be out of it. Um, All right, let me see what I got um, from any other questions. Uh, Tim, I haven't heard... But I'm curious what your opinion is. What do you think happens with Missouri in the postseason ban? Gangster Pete, we've been asked this. We're going to do an interview with Gabe Diarman. I'm looking forward to hearing his perspective on it. Me too. I think he's going to say, I don't know. And anybody who says they know, they're lying. That's what I think. Those words I think we're going to hear from Gabe. Um, Your thoughts on this stuff?
1: I just have a bad feeling we're going to get screwed over because we're Mizzou. I think if we were Texas or Florida state or somebody that's already been overturned, uh, I think they'll make an example of us and I'm really depressed about it. I'm looking at our schedule right now. You have I mean, the schedule up in front of you. We could be eight. zero when we play Georgia. That would be so fun. Yeah, it would there be was incredible. a possible possibility of playing for the sec. I mean, I think this team is going to be good. The one question I'd have for Dave, Gabe is about our defensive ends. I'm not sure there, but everything else is pretty solid. So
0: I, here's what I wonder. I wonder if there's just kind of like an agreement, like, yeah, the band's going to be upheld, but we're not going to announce that until you're done with a good portion of your home schedule. Right. And, and essentially, am I off the mark here? Every game they play minus the opener at Wyoming is at home
1: until mid-October. Yes. They play Wyoming on the road, then okay. West Virginia at home, SEMO at home, South Carolina at home, Troy at home, Mississippi at home. And then off and then they, they go, go to Vanderbilt, Kentucky and, Kentucky, in Vanderbilt,
0: Kentucky, and then Georgia. Yeah, I was looking at the schedule this weekend and I'm just like, oh my God, they don't play on the road at all outside of this Wyoming thing until mid October. And then
1: they still have a couple home games. It's not like it's over. I mean, it's almost like if you said this is these are the games you have to play, put them in the order you want, that would be yeah. who you'd pick. So I wonder about from a
0: season ticket standpoint, if it's like, okay, the band's gonna get upheld, but we're not gonna announce it until after right. homecoming or something like that. I wonder about that. These this is me going into conspiracy. No, mode, I do but, too. But I wonder about it because, like, what more could really be going on on this? And, and and I get I get asked about it often in my response, and, and I haven't had anybody. So I will ask Gabe this when we do the interview. But has the NCAA ever overturned one of its punishments via
1: appeal? I don't know if they've completely overturned. I know that they've modified okay. The punishments. Okay. But I, I just don't understand why this would take so long because we— Self-reported it. All the facts are there. We admit to it. I mean, it's not like they're discovering new things. They got everything they need to know. They're just delaying this response for what reason? I don't know.
0: I mean, it's the difference between me, like, being locked in and just being like, ugh. And I can't help. I can't help it. I I mean, I'd be so excited because I love college football. And there is the chance, although, you know, it's the same thing as Blues fans, though. You just kinda of like, yeah, no, they're good, but you know something's gonna happen. And then all of a sudden they're lifting the Stanley Cup. And go, oh my God. Uh but as a Missouri fan, you're like, Yeah, I mean, I guess theoretically they might be favorites in every one of their games going into Athens. That is that is something you could see being possible. Whereas last year you're like, Oh my God, they have Georgia and South Carolina and Alabama in a row. Um that you just think something's inevitably going to happen or Kelly Bryant gets hurt or something along those lines, but um, if, if, if you find out before the season that, it you know, there's a postseason ban, I'm just kind of like, okay, I'll watch, but I won't be emotionally invested. So I wonder about that. I wonder about that part. So my honest, my honest answer is, I don't know. I don't want to say, cause I have zero indication from anyone of any outcome on it outside of, I, the only thing that I can say is it's, it's now approaching late August. The season's less than two weeks away and we haven't heard anything and it just makes me wonder if there's a uh, there's a there's a gentleman's agreement to not announce that until the, uh, the a large portion of the home schedule has been played that's my that is i'm entering that in for discussion not a belief i'm entering it in for discussion i'll ask the colonel about that colonel will probably
1: piss off i me. think it's a good theory man and, yeah it's unfortunate if it is because that means that we've would... got a bad feeling
0: so um, there it is, questions from the audience. James Carlton, Ryan Kelly, the home loan expert.com James Carlton online at carltoninsurance.net, uh, Mark Hanna, Evergreen, Wealth Strategies online at evergreenstl.com, Design Air Heating and Cooling online at designairservice.com, and Johnny Landoff, Chevrolet. Subscribe, listen, review, give great reviews to this podcast, it helps the cause. We love doing it every week, a new guest, and then questions from the audience, and now Pick 6 is back. Will the weatherman be able to repeat? I'll set his win percentage at 57.5% for the 2019-2020 season. Gangster Pete, where are you coming in, over or under?
1: Uh, I'm just going to take the under because I think 57% is an outrageous number. Oh. He is locked
0: in, though. I, I mean, know. he's he be- so, proved he's capable. He is so I want locked to prove in. It. I mean, I, listen, I'm, I guess I just got to throw... You know, a unit, so to speak, on every one of his plays, and uh, I think that's the move. And then just kind of, just kind of roll with it, uh, and, and hope that there's a heater. And I don't know what that would equate to. I guess I could do some math on that. So if we do this for like 20 weeks, and there's six picks a week, 120 games, and if he goes, I mean, essentially he was basically 80 and 40 last year. That's a, the equivalent. It's unreal. And so, what would that mean? So I mean, that's like four grand. But you got to subtract the big, I don't know, so 3,500-ish. That's fun. That's fun if a unit is 100. Oh, maybe you ball harder. Maybe you're going to throw around more than that. I don't know. But I'll roll with him because this guy's emailed me all the time with, like, updates on numbers. He's all fired up for this thing. So that's coming your way this week, the debut of that as well. Joe Buck this week. If you missed it, make sure you listen to that. I think you'll be amused Joe Buck was awesome. You're a big Joe Buck fan? No? Yeah, I thought that was great. Uh, so that's all up for you on The Tim McKernan Show. Subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Gangster Pete Nagy for producing. I'm Tim McKernan. This has been The Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network.